Alright, let me draw your attention to that last verse of Luke 16 and verse 31. It says, And He said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, Luke chapter 16 is the passage where most preaching about hell comes from Luke chapter 16. And rightfully so. I mean, we have a clear story of a man. This is not a parable. It says there was a certain rich man. It says, and it actually names Lazarus. And in the Bible, the parables never give names. This was an actual story. This was something that happened. It names Abraham specifically, who is seen in this story. And here in this story, we have a rich man who goes to hell. And in this story, we see that, you know, he, fi- he finds himself in hell and he does not want his brothers to go to this place. He wants his brothers to know that there is a place called hell, a place where he's tormented, a place where he's on fire, a place where he has no water, a place where he is in misery and, and sorrows, a literal place. And he tells Abraham to send Lazarus back, saying, if one rose from the dead, then my brothers will believe in hell. But Abraham makes that famous statement, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets or the Old Testament, they won't believe though one rose from the dead. And understand, Moses and the, or Abraham in the story is telling this rich man, if people are going to believe in hell, they've got to believe Moses and the prophets. They've got to believe the Old Testament. And the title of my message tonight, is, I do titles like this sometimes, it's Hell, Sheol, Gehenna, Hades, the Pit, and Tartarus. Alright? Now, why am I doing that? Well, we believe in a place called hell, right? Well, there's a lot of religions out there that don't believe in hell, or they try to teach that hell is something other than a place of fire. They try to teach it something that's not literal, something that is not eternal. And if you ask them, well, where do you get that? Well, what they often do is they like to go to the Greek and Hebrew. They like to go to the Greek and Hebrew... And in the Jehovah's Witness Bible, in their, if you look in their Bibles, whenever it says hell in the Old Testament, it says Sheol. And they're like, it's not hell, it's Sheol. You know, it comes from, you know, hell comes from the Hebrew word Sheol. Or in the New Testament, it, instead of saying hell, it will say Hades or Gehenna. And then you have all these smart people that come along. There's one place where it's Tartaru or Tartarus, or whatever. I'm not even sure how you say that exactly. There's one place, we'll see that one a little bit. And they'll bring up all these different Greek words and then they will explain to you that hell is not exactly what you think it is. It's actually Hades, which is talking about the grave, or Gehenna, which was a place outside of Jerusalem, the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, where there was like a garbage dump area where there was a constant burning of fire. And they will bring up all these things and show how basically they use all this Greek and Hebrew to show you that hell is figurative, that it's not what you think it is, and it's just a way to cause doubt and confusion. But what these people are doing, now if we do, if we look at the Greek and the Hebrew words that hell is translated from, you will see that it's translated from things like Sheol and Hades and Gehenna, things like that. But at the same time, okay, so what is Gehenna? What is Sheol? Well, what these people do, all right, well, explain to me what Gehenna is. Well, then they, they tell you that story about Gehenna being this garbage dump where they burnt stuff. Well, where does the Bible tell us about that? You know, they, what they are doing is they are referring to dictionaries. They're referring to other books besides the Bible. They're not just looking at the Bible and letting the Bible define itself. And so they do all these things and make them sound smart. Because, you know, we don't know Greek and Hebrew in here. And here they seem to know all this stuff, but they bring up all these facts that you cannot find in the Bible. And, you know, and people will use it too to show the King James translators didn't know what they were doing when they translated it into hell every time. But I'm going to show you in the end of this message that I think the King James translators got it right when they just called it hell every single time. And there was no need to give it different names because whether it's Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus, whatever, it was always talking about the same place. So let's go ahead and let's let the Bible 
define these places, all right? So we're going to look at these scriptures, and I'm going to bring up what the Greek and Hebrew words are, not because I care, not because they matter, but just to try to answer some of these things you might get thrown your way, okay? If you ever run into any Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to talk about Sheol. They're, they're going to do that. You know what? If they do that, you just need to tell them to get the Sheol off your property and never come back again, because that, you know, they're just, they're liars, just trying to spread a bunch of garbage, all right? I hope I didn't cuss right there, but... Um, Anyway, but that's I think it'd be appropriate in that situation. So let's go to the first mention of hell in the Bible. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 21. It says, They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. That's talking about us, by the way, the Gentiles. Romans talks about this passage. It says, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. And why is God going to do that? Well, it's the Jews, they, they didn't have faith. They were children in whom was no faith. And so God prophesied way back in Jerusalem, I'm going to provoke them to jealousy with a foolish nation. That's you and me, ladies and gentlemen. We're that foolish nation that's provoking the Jews to jealousy so that hopefully they will believe on Christ. And some of them do, but many of them don't. But notice what it says in verse 22. He says, For a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell. And the Hebrew word there is Sheol. And shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. So right there, the first time we see hell mentioned in the Bible, the main purpose of hell even being mentioned it's not trying to describe hell in this passage, but what it's trying to do is it's a description of the fire that's going to be burned. Okay? God is saying, man, I'm anger. I'm on fire. I mean, what do we do when we talk about somebody who's like in a rage? We say they have steam coming out of their ears. You know, we associate fire with rage. And God even did that. And he said, man, my, I'm anger. I am angry. And my fire is kindled. It is going to burn unto the lowest Hell, so we see the first time that uh, hell is mentioned, there is a reference to fire, and there's also a reference too to the fact that it is some place that is low, that it is going to burn all the way to hell. For example, uh, you know, we've got an area in our house where we burn things, and there's some stumps there, and I'm always what, like to get a good fire going, so it'll burn some of that lower stuff there that's hard to get to. And a really good fire, it'll burn down deep, okay? Because most, you know, heat, it goes up, right? But if you can get a really good fire going, a lot of times it can burn those lower things too. And something that burns down into the ground, that's a hot fire right there. That's a real hot fire. And God said, this fire of my, my anger, it's going to burn unto the lowest hell. It's going to go down as deep as it can go. What God is trying to say in this passage is just, my anger, it's like the fire of hell. It's going to go as deep as hell. So we see kind of a description of hell uh, in, in this passage, even though it's not specifically talking about what hell's like. That's not the main purpose. So that's the first time we see the word hell in the Bible. But there's actually a time before that in Numbers chapter 16. Turn over to Numbers chapter 16. Now, it doesn't use the term hell here, but it talks about the pit. Okay, And I believe many times in the Bible when you see the pit, it is a reference to hell. And the Hebrew word for pit right here is Sheol. Okay? And so, uh, you know, the Hebrew people like to bring that up and they'll, because they figured out that it's Sheol, you know, they're smart and now they're going to confuse you about hell. But let's look what it says right here. Number 16, verse 32 says, And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. So right here, it refers to hell as a pit. Okay? Or it refers to Sheol as a pit. You say, well, why did the King James translators just call it hell instead of a pit? Well, you know why? Because hell is a pit. And it's okay to call... There's, and I'm going to show some examples of this later... We often call one place multiple things. And hell, it's not just a place. It is a thing. All right? It is a place of punishment. It is a pit. It is a place of fire. And so, 
Uh, I personally believe the reason they called it the pit in this situation is because of the fact they actually fell into a pit to the pit. Did they not? The ground opened it up and they went down alive into the pit, into Sheol. And then the, and, you know, and the definition for Sheol too is the grave. Well, they just went to the grave. It just means they died. That's what the JWs would tell you. That they just died. But I think it's interesting to mention they went down alive into the pit. Now, I understand, they. I think when they hit the fires of hell, they physically died. But spiritually speaking, all right, their souls continued feeling the pain. They continued suffering right there. And so, uh, I, I personally believe they just used the term pit because hell is a pit. And they literally fell, fell through a pit into the pit with a capital P. And look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. I'm going to be jumping around to a lot of passages tonight. But it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, and laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is called the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So many times in the Bible, when it refers to hell as a pit, and there are multiple places, it's comparing it to a prison. Because that's what hell is. Okay? Hell is a prison. Hell, we're going to see, it's a temporary holding place for the lost. And ultimately, they are being held until the day of judgment. And after they stand before God in the great white throne of judgment, death and hell... And all its residents are going to get cast in like a fire. See, so hell is, it's a holding place. It's a temporary place. We see Satan's going to get cast in there for a thousand years, but he's going to be let out of hell. We'll see other examples too where people, or not people, but where things are let out of the bottomless pit. And people will try to say, well, the bottomless pit's one thing. You know, hell is another thing. And I'm not going to say that there are probably not some compartments to hell for lack of a better term all right you don't see that in the bible and people use that term a lot i'm not going to say that there probably isn't something like that but at the same time the bible doesn't give clear description of that and so i think we got to be careful building doctrines around that and people do build doctrines around that and that's dangerous but look at second uh, samuel 22 verse 6 it says the sorrows of hell come past me about the snares of death prevented me. Alright, now go ahead and turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. I want to read some verses to you here. So notice, in the Old Testament, alright, in the Old Testament we have seen that hell has fire associated with it. We see here now that sorrows are associated with it. Verse, um, and so, um, verse 6 is the verse we just read. And a lot of people would say, well, David's speaking figuratively here. Okay? You know, but... It, and well, let's read a little bit more of this, alright? Second, I'm in 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 22. It says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and He did hear my voice out of His temple, and my cry did enter into His ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. Now, was David in hell? Okay. Did David actually go to hell? When David prayed, you know, was there an earthquake after that? Verse 9, Then there went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth. Devoured coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and did fly and was seen upon the wings of the wind. Does anybody think that literally happened to David or is he speaking figuratively here? Now, I think it's very possible. I think you can make a good argument that he's actually speaking prophetically here about Jesus Christ who did go to hell, whose soul was not left in hell, neither did his soul in one see corruption. And I believe that this could be a reference to God raising Jesus up from the dead. All right, now, And I'm not going to make a big deal about that. But I'm just I'm saying all that to show you that in this passage right here where we see David talking about hell, one of the things associated with it is sorrows. Okay? The sorrows of hell. 
And I say all that because that is proof that hell is eternal and not just something that consumes you and you're gone, which is what many people teach today. The hell is some place where the lost goes, you get burned up, and then you just cease to exist. That's not the case, okay? It's a place of sorrows. It's a place where you have worries. Okay, that rich man, what would happen with him? He was sorrowful. He was worried about his brethren, okay? And that's what's crazy about hell because when so, if somebody's just burning, all right? If you, and I'm thankful I've never seen anybody burning or anything like that. But I'm pretty sure if you ever come across somebody who is burning, dying in a fire, they're not screaming about their brothers. They're not screaming, you know, oh, I, you know, I left the bathroom water running. Things. All they're thinking about is the pain that they're in, all right, as they're dying. But in hell, it's a place not just of pain, but of sorrows. A place of worry. That's what we see the rich man experiencing. And we see David talking about the same thing in the Old Testament before we even have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. In uh, Job chapter 11, verse 8, it says, It is high as the heavens, what canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? So right here, this passage is teaching us that hell is deep. Okay, Now, we know the hell is in the heart of the earth, but even way back in Job's day, he knew it was deep. Now, for us to say that, well, this is just Sheol, it's talking about the grave. Well, if you were talking about something that's really deep, why would you talk about a grave? Graves aren't that deep. If you're talking about something that's deep, why wouldn't you say it's deeper than a well? A well's deeper than a grave. So if you're, gonna, if you're talking about it's higher than the heavens, that's as high as they can think of. That's as high as they know of. And so then they're going the other way. All right, what's the deepest thing that we know of? Well, hell is the deepest thing that we know of. It's the deepest thing that there is. Proven once again that Sheol is not the grave. Sheol is what we call hell. A place that is in the heart of the earth. And so, uh, Job 26, 6 says, Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place, and hangeth the world upon nothing. This passage is showing that God can see everything about hell. It's naked before him. Okay, when something is naked, it means it's just open, it's exposed. Alright, everything is able to be seen. And the Bible here is saying hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. You know what that means? That means that hell is not separation from God, like Billy Graham taught. And like many people just parrot not even thinking about it. That actually means that what we teach about the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, where you know people are like, nope, they were actually in another compartment of hell, which was paradise, because they were able to see each other and talk to each other. Well, the Bible says hell's naked before God. If Abraham's with God, he obviously can see it too. Just like we read in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it's something that is naked, it's wide open before God. So this, what we see here... With God being able to clearly see hell, it lines up with what we read about in Luke chapter 16. So, um, Psalms 139 verse 8 says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Anybody see the separation from God right there? Nope. God's everywhere. Okay. This is just, that passage is just showing we can't get away from God. Okay. You say, well, that, you know, if they're with God, you know, why is things horrible? Because they're with God being judged. They're with God being punished. It's God that brought this, is bringing this punishment on them. It's God that had them cast in the lake of fire. And so, uh, Psalms 9 verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. We also learn in the Old Testament that hell is a place where the wicked go. Psalm 16 verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. We see that hell is where Jesus went after His death on the cross. Acts 2 makes it very clear that this was not talking about David, that this was talking about Jesus Christ. His soul was not left in hell. Neither did His Holy One or His body see corruption. He was in there for three days and three nights, but He raised from the dead before the body was able to rot and deteriorate. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We see in Psalms 55 verse 15, it says, Let... Death seize upon them and let them go down quick into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God 
and the Lord shall save me. Notice what else we learn about hell in Psalms. It's a place where the saved will never go. The saved will not go to hell. It's going to seize upon them. They're going to go into hell because of their wickedness. But David said, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. What do we learn in Romans? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Sounds like God did that in the Old Testament too, didn't He? Interesting. So hell is a place where the saved will never go. Psalms 86.13 For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Alright? And this is where people kind of get the idea that there's different levels of hell. And I'm not saying there's not. There very well could be that's very possible. You know, some people think that, you know, Judas Iscariot's in his own place and that there's going to be a special place just for Satan. Uh, you know, we'll see a few other verses on that in a little bit. But we see that phrase lowest hell, but I wouldn't go as far as making a doctrine about different levels because it doesn't give us any extra specifics in there. Okay? It just mentions lowest hell. But it doesn't, it doesn't tell us anything different about hell in the lowest hell. And I think, personally, I think it's probably just another word used because of the fact that hell is low. And it's as low as it gets. And it would be like me saying, alright, so for example, if I was to say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to Chicago tomorrow. But then in another sentence, I'm saying, I'm going to communist Chicago tomorrow. Are, are these two different places? No, but what am I doing? When I say I'm going to communist Chicago, I'm talking about the same thing, but I am just illustrating the fact that Chicago is a very terrible place with very bad laws. But is it not talking about the exact same place? I'm just emphasizing one of the characteristics of the place I'm going to. And because hell is the lowest place there is, it's just emphasizing the lowest hell. Uh, it, it, it emphasizes that there just as a reminder of you know, what it is that he's you know, being brought out of or protected from. So I, I think to make a doctrine of different levels and all that kind of stuff, I think we're pushing it. Okay, Because the Bible doesn't really give us any specifics. Psalms 116 verse 3 says, The sorrows of death compass me. And the pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. David could be, or, you know, the psalmist could be speaking figurative here, or this could be another reference to a prophetic reference to Jesus. Okay, because David never went to hell. David never felt the pains of hell or the pains of the grave. And this is another stupid thing about the JWs when they want to teach that Sheol. And every time you see hell in the, in the Old Testament, it's translated from Sheol. They want to say that it's the grave is, what is it that people always say whenever somebody dies? Hey, they're done suffering. Physically speaking, all right, they're done suffering. But if the grave is just a place where your physical body goes, then why would we talk about the pains of death? Okay, Jesus, you know, he suffered the pains of death. The Bible talks about that. and People want to say he was actually in paradise. Well, then he shouldn't have been in any pain. If he's in paradise, if his soul's in paradise, and if his body is in the grave, then how come God had to loose him from the pains of death? You know why? Because the pains of death is hell. You and I will never suffer the pains of death because we will go to heaven. All right, We will physically die one of these days, but then our pain's over. Our suffering's over at that point. But a lost person, they suffer the pains of death. And so right there in Psalms, we see pain associated with hell. Proverbs 5, 5, I'm going to read a bunch of different verses here. It says, her feet go down to death and her steps take hold on hell. 7.27, her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. 9.18, but he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. 15.11, hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? Verse 24, the way of life is above to the wise that he may depart from hell beneath. Thou shalt beat them with the rod. 23.14, thou shalt beat them with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Okay, How does spanking your child keep them from going to hell? I thought you had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to go to hell. Well, you know, why is it that some people don't believe on Christ? The Bible says because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Some people love the darkness. 
And you know what we're trying to teach our kids when we're spanking them? That, hey, evil leads to pain. Evil leads to misery and destruction. And you need to learn to, you need to learn to say no to those things. You need to learn to try to seek after that, which is good. So hopefully they will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they won't turn away from Him and they will put their faith and trust in Him. But from these passages we just read, we read that certain paths will lead to hell. That there are certain things that if we do, there are courses that we can take in our life that will end up leading us to hell if we will not turn and will not trust in Christ. There are things, there are, there are decisions you can make that will make you more likely, it'll make it more likely that you will never be saved. There, there's a, you can become reprobate. We see in Proverbs, he that be an offer proven, hardens his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That's why we've got to teach morals. That's why we've got to teach our kids to have some character. We've got to teach them these things so they don't make bad decisions and end up just getting so stubborn, getting in so deep that they never want to, never want to turn back. And they end up so deep in darkness that they never believe on Christ. They never trust in Him to get saved. And we see in Proverbs, in the Old Testament again, that certain paths will lead you to hell. Proverbs 27 verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of men are never satisfied. Hell, it, it, can't, be, it can't be filled. It can't be satisfied. Isaiah 5.14 Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure in their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Isaiah 14.9 Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee. Even all the chief ones of the earth it hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. Habakkuk 2.5 Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell and is as death and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations and heapeth unto him all people. We see in the Old Testament that hell has plenty of room and it will expand if it needs to. It will do that. It will never be satisfied. It will never be, it will never be filled. There is plenty of room for all these billions and billions of people to go to hell. So don't think it's going to fill up. Ezekiel 31 verse 6. Now this, this is kind of funny here. I, they had the anti-Anderson conference two, you know, year two, uh, just this last week. I haven't got to listen to a whole lot of it yet, but I got to, I got to hear some highlights. And man, I'm telling you, man, these rucktards, they're just a gift that keeps on giving. Just with the crazy heresies that they have. And Sluter was preaching, and he brought up how you know, because they believe in paradise. They believe in a good hell and a bad hell. You know, they think Jesus went to good hell or paradise, as they call it, even though the Bible called it hell where Jesus went. And he said in that message how during the flood, the Garden of Eden sunk down to the center of the earth into hell. And that's where it's at. Like it's in Ezekiel 31. Go read it. What? You know, and, and I I was doing something else. I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. I didn't look it up. Well, when I was studying for this, I came across this passage. I was like, oh, this must be that passage that Sluter was talking about. Let's look at what it says in Ezekiel 31, verse 16. And I'm going to show you too, first of all, not only was that just stupid what he said, but I'm going to show you where like rucktards, where they get messed up. It says in verse 16, I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall. When I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit... And all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. They also went down into hell with him unto them that be slain with the sword and they, um, and they that were his arm that dwell under his shadow in the midst of the heathen. You all see that right there? That proves right there that Eden sunk to the center of the earth, which is where paradise was. And that's where, well, he said we can't call them the Old Testament saints. We've got to clean up our terminology because nobody got saved in the Old Testament. That, 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 was what he, that was what he said. But they all got saved after Jesus went down there and preached the gospel to them. And I might be, I might be preaching on that next week. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I don't have time to preach all the way through Ezekiel chapter 31. Okay, but let's let's look at verse 18. All right. See, this is what ruck cards do. They expound on one verse. They zero in on one verse and then they just 
make up stuff to go with it. They never expound on like an entire passage or an entire chapter. And that's what you have to do many times in the Bible. They zero in on that one verse and they make up doctrines. But you've got to look at the whole chapter. But look at verse 18. It's so he's saying that Eden went down to hell. All right. Obviously the good part. That's where the paradise was. But look what it says in verse 18. It says, To whom art thou thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? Yet shalt thou be brought down with the trees of Eden under the nether parts of the earth, and thou shalt lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with them that be slain by the sword. Well, if that's paradise, well, woohoo, great. He's saying you're going to go down with the trees of Eden. You're going to be down there with the uncircumcised with them to be slain with the sword. He's saying this, this is scary. This is something bad. All you've got to do is read one more verse and you'll see this is not a good thing. And... How do I explain Ezekiel 31 without going through the whole thing? Ezekiel 31 is figurative what he's saying. He's given a prophecy to Egypt. And in e- when he's given the prophecy to Egypt, he's comparing them to Lebanon, or not Lebanon, to uh, Assyria, who is like the trees of Lebanon. They were gigantic in size. They were just these magnificent trees that the, the trees of Eden couldn't hide. They were more magnificent than the trees of Eden. So the Assyrians represent this massive tree that's there. And the other nations represent the trees of Eden. And he's saying in there that, you know what? Just like I brought down that tree of Assyria and I took it down to hell with the other nations of Eden too, all right, not saying the Garden of Eden went down to hell, but the other nations, he's telling Egypt, I'm going to do the same thing to you. That's what he's saying in that passage. And you know, you know where he learned this from? He's doing his, you know, backwoods hillbilly broadcast, and somebody calls in and brings up those two verses. Hey, didn't you know that was there? And he's like, well, I believe it now. Well, you know why he was so quick to believe that? Because it fit his messed up doctrine. He didn't bother to look at the entire passage. And we see here in that passage, what are we supposed to learn from this passage about hell? Well, once again, we see it's a place that is a pit. All right, we see it's a place where the wicked go. And we definitely see it's not paradise. All right, he's telling them, hey, he's trying to scare them with the fact you're going down with the trees of Eden. Well, if that's paradise, who needs to repent? Let's go down with the trees of Eden. Let's go down there to paradise. And then we'll just believe the gospel when Jesus comes and preaches it to us and get out and then go to heaven. You know, just the, you know, the ructardation of these people. I can't think of a dumber word than ructardation. I mean, it just it blows my mind. And these are the people. They are the only ones that are brave enough to come after our crowd and try to refute what we teach. And it is funny to watch them try. It is funny. And some of what I have heard so far, it is just it's just wonderful. I'm like, man, you guys keep it up. I can't wait till the anti-Andersonite conference number three. It's really going to be good. But anyway, uh, lost my spot here. So right there we see, and we, we, we don't have time to cover all of them. Notice all these things that we have learned about hell from the Old Testament. We learned it's a place of fire. We learned it's a place of sorrow. We learned it's a place of pain. We learned it's a place of judgment. We learned that it's a prison. We learned that it's someplace deep. Alright? It is a pl- we learned it's a place where the wicked go. We learned it's a place where the saved will never go. Now, let me ask you, what more do we learn about hell than what we've already learned in Luke chapter 16? I mean, pretty much what Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have all these scriptures that we just read. People should have known about hell. We can get all the doctrine we need from hell in the Old Testament, just like he said there. But now let's look at some New Testament, all right? Let's look at some of these New Testament because this is where we see the there's different Greek words where the King James always translates it hell. There are different Greek words used. And so people will try to use that to say that... You know, it's not really hell like we talk, like we think it is. But let's look at some of these things. And once again, instead of going to dictionaries and history books and Talmud, the Talmud and things like that, let's let the Bible define itself. All right. So Matthew chapter five and verse twenty-two. 
Matthew 5.22 says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. That word hell is translated from Gehenna. Alright? And you know what? I've actually been to Gehenna before. And when they talk about Gehenna, alright, they talk about it like it was that garbage dump where the fire burned. It was just always burning as a continual fire. That was talking about Gehenna. Jesus here isn't talking about hell. He's talking about Gehenna. And it uses the word Gehenna. Alright? But wait a minute. This can't be talking about Gehenna. I think it's interesting he uses the term hell because it mentions hell fire. Well, we know. They knew that fire was associated with hell from the Old Testament, from the very first mention of the word hell. But look at Mark chapter 9, verse 43. It says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life halt, or enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. For it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now, we've got a big problem. If this is talking about Gehenna, I've been there before. The fire's quenched, folks. There's no fire burning there anymore. The fire got quenched. So how can that be talking about Gehenna? Or Gehenna as they define it. Okay? Alright, maybe Jesus did say Gehenna when he, when he spoke those words. But guess what? Gehenna is hell. Gehenna is just hell in the Greek language. It's talking about a place of fire. In right here in these passages... Jesus makes it very clear that this place that he's calling Gehenna is a place of fire. Well, what is hell? Hell's a place of fire, isn't it? It's a place where the fire is never quenched. So, okay, Gehenna, hell, it's the same thing. Same thing, different language. Just like if we call Jesus Christ, that's fine. Or if you call him Jesus the Messiah, that's fine. It's the same thing. It's the same word, just from another language. It's the same, but it's the same thing. Isaiah, so notice though, Isaiah chapter 66 verse 22, notice how Jesus kept saying, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Why is he saying that? Because they knew about this place. Isaiah 66 verse 22 says, for as the new heavens and new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring to all flesh. Y'all see that? Right there, I believe that's a picture of hell that he's given right there. And he's the, notice how Jesus used the exact same wording about where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And once again, I, too, I think that's more proof that it's not separation from God. It's proof that we'll be able to see hell. And so... Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. So right there, those were all Gehenna references to hell. All right, Those were all translated from the word Gehenna. But then Hades is another one. All right? And you know, in Hades, we all heard about Hades from Greek mythology. And they, they, like to, you know, they like to throw in, when they define things, some Greek mythology stuff. Just to, just to confuse you. Just to, just to give you doubts. That's all they need. They just need you doubting when it comes to hell. But Matthew 11.23 says, And now Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell, or Hades. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. Well, it's interesting because he's talking about this nation or this city, the city I mean, that is going to be brought down to hell. Well, this was a city who rejected Christ. What did Jesus, or what does the Bible say in the Old Testament? The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God. Alright, now and he called it Hades right here, which people that's translated just the grave. Alright? Like you know, Sheol is the grave. But I find it interesting that what Jesus is saying is going to happen to this city is exactly what the Old Testament says is going to happen to those who forget God. Same same thing. Luke sixteen twenty two. Alright, so uh, and we're not going to look at all the references to Hades. And it really doesn't matter because when you look at them, 
It all lines up with everything we saw about Sheol or hell in the Old Testament. There is a common theme of the fire, the sorrows, the pain. Uh, you know, all the, all those things are there. And so look at what it says in Luke 16, verse 22. Let's read the story of the rich man again. So as it came to pass, the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, Gehenna is the word it's translated from there. He lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, what do we learn about hell here that's new from the Old Testament? Nothing. Talking about torments there. We see, we saw, we already saw that in the Old Testament. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. We flame. That's nothing new. We, we knew about that in the Old Testament too, didn't we? We knew about that. We already knew about that from what we saw in the Old Testament. Verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from this. Hey, you know what we see right here is that say people can't get to hell. Well, we saw that in the Psalms, didn't we? So we, we haven't learned anything new in this story that we can't find in the Old Testament about hell. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren. He may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. We see him worrying. We see him having sorrows. We saw that in the Old Testament too, didn't we? And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We don't see anything new about hell in Luke chapter 16 that we didn't already see in the Old Testament, did we? Notice the Sheol of the Old Testament is the exact same as the Gehenna of the New Testament. Okay? So you know what? Yes, the, tra- the King James translator translated all hell. That's fine. Because Sheol, Gehenna, Hades, they're all the same place. And so, uh, look at Second Peter 2.4. Now, this is the one time we see in the Bible where it's translated from the word Tartaru or Tartarus, however you say it. Not even sure if I'm spelling it right. Second Peter 2.4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, what did we see in the Old Testament? We see that hell was a pit. We see it was a prison. Is that not exactly what we see here in Second Peter? It's a, it's a holding place. All right. It's something that he's, he's keeping them there for a while. But eventually we see in Revelation, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be some things that are let out of the pit. And I believe that the bottomless pit or the pit are all the same place. In Isaiah 14, verse 15, this uh, prophecy to Lucifer says, Thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Okay? Right here we see Sheol basically talking about the same thing that Tartarus is. Okay? So if Sheol equals Gehenna, well then wouldn't Sheol have to equal Tartarus too? Wouldn't it all have to be the same place? Okay, now I'm not saying there can't be different sections where God's going to put the devil. I, 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 the Bible doesn't tell us. And you know what? I don't want to find out. Alright? You know, because if the Bible doesn't tell us, I think the only way we're going to find out is if we go make a visit there. And if you make a visit there, you're not getting out, except for a temporary time, to be cast in the lake of fire. So, I'm not interested. Alright? Not interested. You want to find out? You know, that's up to you. <laughs> you're going to have to uh, make sure you don't get saved. But look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. This is the last mention of hell. It says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and hell, or Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So right there, we see that 
all those who are in hell are eventually going to be let out only to be cast into the lake of fire. That is not good. And we also see in Revelation 14, verse 11, that it, it, their torment is forever and ever. It says, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Okay? Hell is not some place where you just go and you burn up and it's over. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Well, that's just the smoke's going to go on forever and ever. No, it says they have no rest day nor night. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't ever stop. It doesn't ever end. So why does the KJV always use hell when the Greek uses and the Hebrew use multiple words? Well, one place, you know, there's, there's one place can have multiple names. We see in the Bible, Peter, for example, he had multiple names. Sometimes it calls him Cephas. Sometimes it calls him Simon. Sometimes it calls him Simon, son of Jonas. Sometimes it calls him Simon Bar-Jonah. Alright? Bar-Jonah just means son of Jonah. It all means the same thing. Alright? Just because he had multiple names doesn't mean he's multiple people. And just because hell has multiple names doesn't mean it's multiple people. I personally believe that when we see the different Greek names sometimes, it's just because of the fact it's highlighting different aspects of hell. Okay, so for example, the Chicago thing. Okay, sometimes people call it Chicago, sometimes they call it Chi Town. All right, you know, if, if I said I'm going to Chi Town, you know, it gives you the idea too, I'm like some gangster or something like that, you know, just talking all hood. And, you know, that might give you an idea of what part of Chicago that I'm going to. Uh, but at the same time, too, like I mentioned before, I'm going to communist Chicago or I'm going to the murder capital of America or something like that. I'm calling it all these different things because I'm just highlighting different aspects of it. But it's always the same place. I could have just said Chicago. And it's the same thing with hell. It has, sometimes it might have used different names because it was highlighting different things. You know what? Maybe it's very possible that the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, or they could have called that area Gehenna. That's very possible because think about it. If there was a place, I mean, obviously, you know, the EPA would never let us have something like this. But if we had a garbage dump today where there was always a fire burning and it was just burning all the time, would it not be, would it not be that unusual if that place ended up getting nicknamed hell? Because it's a place where there's fire burning all the time. And so if there was a place like that historically, and there may have been, where there was always a burning going on, where the fire was just always going, where smoke is just always going, wouldn't it make sense that they might call it, hey, you know what, that, that place is like hell that the prophets told us about. They could have just started calling it that. Hey, let's start calling this place Gehenna, which is, it doesn't mean that Gehenna was only that place. They probably nicknamed it that. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But yet, all these Greek and Hebrew scholars, they want to bring these things up to prove that hell isn't what the Bible says. It is a place of fire, a place of torment, a place of sorrows, a place of pain. Just like we see a prison, a holding place, a pit, all these things. And so, they could be using one word to describe the physical location of hell, which is the pit, which is the heart of the earth. Or, in other times, it could have been calling it a name referring to the physical aspects of it, of what it's like, as far as the pain, the fire, the torment. But in the end, hell's always hell in the Bible. All the t- Every time you see hell in the Bible, it's a bad place. It's negative. A hundred percent of the time, when you see hell in the Bible, it is a bad place and it is never paradise. It is never, ever paradise. It is hell. And all the teaching of the Greek and Hebrew names of hell, all it does, all it is used for is to cause people to doubt the reality of hell, to, to doubt whether or not it's eternal or not, and it's also used to attack the credibility of the King James Bible. But I just showed you with all these multiple, multiple references of hell that it's pretty clear it's always talking about the same place. Every, every single time. 
It's talking about the same place. And so you know what? We're just going to keep on calling it hell. Just like the King James Bible said, it's calling to hell. All right, if you want to call it Gehenna, go ahead. Go ahead and call it Gehenna as long as you're talking about a place that's eternal, a place of fire, a place of torment, a place of pain, a place of sorrows. Okay, you, know, you can call it that. You can call it you know, Satan's future residence if you want to. You know, you, know you, you, can call it, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it the Ruckmanites' heaven. You know, or the Ruckmanites' paradise, all right? They, they think it's so great down there. We know they're going there based on their own teaching. So, you know, call it Ruckmanite paradise. You know, as long as you're talking, when you talk about Ruckmanite paradise, you're talking about a place of fire and a place of torment and all these things. That's fine, all right? Call it whatever you want. I'm going to keep on calling it hell because I think most people understand what hell is. And all those people are going to, they're going to continue using these words just to try to lighten up, get people to lighten up on hell, not be so scared of it, not think it's a big deal, but just a simple study shows that hell is a bad place and it is ex everything we see in the Old Testament about hell lines up perfectly with what Jesus taught about hell in Luke chapter 16. Therefore, Abraham was absolutely right when he said they have Moses and the prophets. The rich man thought, I need to go back and I need to tell them, or Lazarus needs to tell them about the pain, the sorrow, the fire, all those things. But Moses like, the Bible already told them. Moses and the prophets already told him about all these stuff. They need to listen to them. And who knows what ever happened to them. They probably went to hell with their brother. More than likely. I don't know. We won't, we won't know that until we get to heaven. But anyway, I hope that was a help to you. And I hope that you won't, don't ever let the, JWs throw you off with that. Don't ever let these King James correctors, you know, freak you out with that stuff. All, whenever they define hell, they get their definitions from sources outside the Bible. When we define hell, we go with what the Bible says, and it makes perfect sense. The Bible is its best dictionary. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for making it clear to us. And, uh, Lord, we just, I pray you'll help us, Lord, to, Take this message, Lord. Help with this, this uh, cause us to trust our King James Bible, Lord. Uh, I believe you preserved your inspired word uh, when you gave us this King James Bible. We thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, ultimately, this will uh, just motivate us to win souls so they won't have to go to that place of torment. Lord, we've never been there, and thank God we'll never go there. But I pray uh, that we will uh, trust your word and understand that it is a real place that exists, and we need to pull people out of there before... It's too late, and I pray you'll help us to just, uh, I mean, double and triple our efforts to win souls so they don't have to go there. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's